Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bet on Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos. Today's episode was presented by BetOnline.ag. And BetOnline, they'd like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the NFL playoffs and the Super Bowl. And that's why BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action in 2022. It's a new year, but there's a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit only when you use promo code Believe BLEAV to get started. Football, basketball, hockey, boxing, UFC, right down to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2022 year. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to wager in all your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming into the pod. Back by popular demand, we felt so good about it, so let's just bring them back for another trip around the block. And this movie is a particular favorite of mine, and maybe it's a movie that you haven't seen in a while, and hopefully we inspire you to go ahead and see it. It is the 1992 film Sneakers. We're going to dive into this one hardcore, but first let's bring in our panel today. This man right here, he wants to shut down the Federal Reserve. He wants to black out New England. He wants to crash a few passenger jets. He might be able to crash the whole damn system. It's Dan Sanders-Joyce. Hello, Dan. <laughs> hey, what's up, guys? I, I, listen, it's, uh, it's about uh, an equal playing field for everybody, uh, a fresh start, no more rich people, no more poor, poor people. We're here to change the world. Isn't that what we wanted, Marty? Isn't that what we wanted? Coming up next on our panel right here, he is going to join this pod as soon as he's done pounding these breasts. His ideal diet is the bottom of a monkey cage. It's Paige Smith. Hello, Paige. It's got the fruits. It's got the greens. It's so good to be back. And, and finally on our panel, his heart leaps like a gazelle. His voice is his passport. So let's verify him. It's Jeff Meacham. Hello, Jeff. Guys, I just want peace on earth and good world towards men. You know what I mean? I just, that's what I want. All right. Just call me blind and happy. <laughs> I'm about to be sick. And that's right. <laughs> we're talking about the 1992 film Sneakers, a movie that came out the day after Dan Sanders Joyce's birthday, September 11th, 1992. It led the box office for two weeks until a movie, I don't know, called Last of the Mohicans showed up, but it had a good run, damn it. Uh, a movie that made over $105 million on a $23 million budget. This film in particular is really interesting because we're going to talk heavy on ensemble about this movie. There are three Oscar winners in this movie. Sidney Poitier, Ben Kingsley, Robert Redford. Five Oscar nominees in this movie. Dan Aykroyd, David Strathairn, uh, River Phoenix, James Earl Jones, Mary McDowell. Directed by Phil Alden Robinson, who also might have directed, I don't know, Field of Dreams, Some of All Fears, a couple Band of Brothers episodes, The Good Wife. He also wrote the movie Ghost Dad. So there's that. So there's that. Uh, really cool laid-back score by James Horner. You know, James Horner, my God. Wrath of Khan, Search of Spock, Cocoon, Another 48 Hours, Aliens, uh, Willow, Land Before Time, Field of Dreams, Patriot Games, Legends of the Fall, Braveheart, Apollo 13, Titanic, Mask of Zorro, Perfect Storm, Avatar. What? Just name a few. On James Horner doing the score. Um, and in this one in particular, I definitely want to talk about because I love movie scores. But let's hop right into our panel here, guys. We're going to hit our lightning round first. This is the old classic. When did you see it? When was the first time you saw the movie? And when was the last time you saw it recently? Unless you just watched it recently. Dan, hop in first, man. Do you remember the first time you saw this movie? And uh, is this something that's in your life normally? Uh, 
Uh, so I do actually remember the first time that I saw this movie, and usually I, I don't on this question, uh, and this question always gives me such anxiety, but I remember the first <laughs> time that I saw this movie. I used to work at the Boys and Girls Club in Tampa, Florida during the summers when I would go down to visit my dad. You know I'm from Tampa, Jeff. I'm, I, I, was, I was born I, in Tampa. What? I forget this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, um, so uh, I used to work at the Boys and Girls Club, and I remember the whole summer, it was 96, and we showed a group of eight and nine-year-old sneakers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh, that's the first time I saw it. It is not something that's in my life regularly. Um, I think I have seen it a couple of times since the first time. And then the rewatch uh, last night. Paige, hop in. First time you saw the movie Sneakers. And uh, had you seen it recently before you came onto this pod? Did you have to kind of go back and sort of re-inundate yourself with this movie? Well, same as Dan, uh, I'm not, uh, this isn't one I've seen 200 times, you know, but uh, I do remember seeing the theaters. Uh, like I said in the last podcast we did, my hometown was kind of, you know, theater uh, poor, and we, we only had a few movies coming through, uh, you know, every now and then that, that would change up. So you saw what you saw. And I did see the theaters, and I remember, it's it something we were talking about before, uh, that I thought it was sort of a movie for people older than me. I, I what I would have been in high school, and I was like, I liked it, but I was like, you know, let's I, let's go watch Batman again. You know what I mean? I was still in that kind of mindset as a kid. Um, and and to answer your second question, I haven't seen it in a few years, and I rewatched it twice before today in the last couple of days. And I gotta say, uh, it's a as an, as an older person, I was right when I was a kid. I, it's a whole different movie to me now. And I, I'm looking back on, I just didn't get certain things and I didn't have the patience for its pace, I guess. Or, you know, I, maybe it's just, uh, it just did, you know, it didn't have that superhero hero vibe or that, you know, cowboy vibe. It just had that, you know, Robert Redford chill kind of like spy thing going on. And, and I, I love it. I love it. I just love it. I I'm, I can't wait to talk about it and dig into some of that stuff. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, dude. R Robert Redford, chill. That's such a great way yeah. to encapsulize the movie because his performance kind of really sets the tone for this whole thing. Yeah, man. And it's laid back. You know what yeah. I mean? It's a, it's a smooth, it's a smooth, slow caper. And fuck, man, I absolutely love it. Um, yeah. This is a black, this is a black box movie for me. Uh, when my dad slipped the cable guy 50 bucks growing up and all of a sudden we got all the channels and my dad sat me down on the couch and he said, son, if you ever tell anyone in school that we have this black box cable package, your daddy can go to jail. He literally told me that to scare me with it. <laughs> Sneakers is the gift that was given to me. Uh, that's how I saw this movie. And uh, I'm guessing, Jeff, uh, hop in on when you first saw this movie, but I think me and you maybe combined, maybe we are in the 400 range of seeing this movie. I try and get this one at least once a year. We got a couple watches in this film. This is for sure my summers at my dad house. I would go down to the video store that was ride my bike down there. And I don't know if I said this already before on the pod where the deal at this place at this uh, in Manchester, Connecticut, where I'd spend the summers with my dad. The video store had a deal, five movies for $5 for five days, as long as it wasn't a new release. And mm -hmm. I mean, sneakers, you know, Under Siege, Last of the Mohicans, you know. Phantoms, uh, <laughs> Mimic. <laughs> That's dead on. These were, these were staples, you know, uh, rotated the Indiana Jones films quite often. And I mean, I saw sneakers and have seen my, but just like Paige said, by the way, Paige, you just said something about your town, like having no, uh, uh, movie theater what 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 last picture show podunk town did you come from <laughs> it was it was actually uh hayes kansas is what it's called and there at the go. time now now you know now it's got like one of those eight movie theaters it's not that small but it had we had the fox theater 
And it was one of those that they turned the big theater into two theaters. So you could see two, th and then there was like one movie at the mall you could see. So, I mean, that's, I know that sounds like, I made it sound less than it is, but. We got a popcorn no. machine now. <laughs> no, dude, that is less than it is. What are you talking about? The we just time. got we just got Twizzlers. Uh, it's a it was a big year in Hayes. <laughs> Dave, that's that's how I grew up too. Like when I would go down to Florida, I saw a lot of summer blockbusters with my dad in movies. But sure. I lived in I lived in Goochland, Virginia, in King William, Virginia. It was a forty five minute drive to a movie theater. We didn't did you to say Goochland? Goochland, Virginia. <laughs> that's the worst name I've ever heard. <laughs> Tell that to Major Goochland, man. <laughs> <laughs> his, his statue in the center square of town is such a reverent thing. And uh, yeah, we got. It was named after the Duke of Gooch. <laughs> so we've got Dan Sanders Joyce. Uh, we got Dan Sanders Joyce living in two different locations in the first five minutes of this pod. He could be Martin Bishop. We're not quite sure yet. We're going to find <laughs> out by the end of this pod and dive into it. Uh, before we get into the cast and the ensemble, which I think is probably perhaps the best aspect of this whole movie, uh, let's do a quick lightning round real quick. I asked you guys to bring in one or two things uh, about the 90s, 90s tropes in movies, because I think what we're all going to kind of realize with this movie is when you watch it, in theory, this movie was ahead of its time. When it comes out in 1992, this is actually putting out big ideas. Everything from code breakers to hackers to people and espionage and how that works and technology on the rise and some of the things that Ben Kingsley says by the end of the movie. But literally, if you watch this movie five, six, seven years after it comes out, it's a tech fossil. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, And there was some sort of weird strain in the 90s where hackers became really, really cool. So I wanted to ask you guys... Are there some mo mo 90s movies tropes that were really cool just in that decade that do not stand the test of time? I think Hackers is one of them. Another one I'm going to throw out there on the board is Ninjas. Ninjas was a huge thing in the 80s and 90s. Oh, uh, and then yeah, and then moving forward, it didn't really take a hold in our cultural society. Uh, Paige, do you have any other 90s tropes about stuff that some movies are about that were really, really cool that eventually did not stand the test of time, like Hackers or Ninjas? Well, I looked this up because I was thinking, what are the tropes from the 90s? And I found some funny stuff that I that I didn't think were good things. I, I guess I missed, missed the question. But one of the things that they brought up was that every movie had a goth kid in it. <laughs> and I thought that was really funny. <laughs> That's right. Good, good call. Goth kids did not make it through the 90s. Right. They, and the, you could see the Hollywood execs like, what are these damn kids like? Um, they all like the makeup and stuff, right? Yeah, let's just have a goth kid in every movie. And I, I thought that was really funny because then I started looking back at it and there were like actors that made their careers on playing the goth kid, you know, and then after the 90s, he didn't really see him again. So that, that was one that really stuck out and then you laugh. Yeah, let's put a bunch of shit in his face. That's a great one. Uh, goth kids, hackers, ninjas, all introduced in the 90s is something that could be cool as a subsect. Didn't really stand the test of time. Dan, uh, do you have any other 90s characters or tropes from that time that didn't stick? solving the crime or a part of the crime by hearing something in the background we got the <laughs> did not did not take hold did it <laughs> we, we now have the technology to not worry with our own ears <laughs> that's right the fugitive 
the, the fugitive has that. Yeah. Remember, remember yes. where they drop the sound down and they hear the L or whatever the train yeah. is there? Yeah. <laughs> uh, living above an uh, elevated train. You know, I did that for 20 years. And then yeah. they guess how many L's there are. And the yeah. third one is we got an L. It's like, yeah, no shit. That's the first one that you say, guy. I love, I love, I love in that scene with the bridges where they have to count down from four for the audience each time. They, each time one gets eliminated. Well, that's three now. <laughs> <laughs> eliminated that just leaves two <laughs> that's a great one and don't try that at home don't try and just close your eyes and try and figure out how you got home it probably won't work uh jeff uh do you have any uh characters 90 tropes that try to get introduced in the 90s that did not stick around you know this has been a big thing this has been a theme with me on this podcast as i uh as i get a little older and i become a parent and that's uh the thing that bothers me now and that's cold-blooded murder cold-blooded murder <laughs> in any film especially spy films from the 90s, just seems to be mm, commonplace. And for me, it's uh, Gregor the Russian as uh, they just get pulled over by the police and right in front of Martin Bishop, two men just get shot to death. No one talks about it. No one cares. It, it just becomes another plot line. And uh, yeah, again, if somebody, if two men got murdered in front of me, that would define the rest of my life. Like that would be, that would be what me and my therapist work on as I wake up in cold sweats. Uh, I struggle with my relationship with my wife, uh, connecting with friends because I think I might lose them. Not in the 90s. Nope. You just watch a murder happen and you you move right along. It's, it's yeah, funny. good. good. Good call, too, on also making sure that the tunnel was absolutely empty for a long stretch of time. That was a good move on, on the killer's part. Paige, hop in. Well, I was just going to say, I, I watched that scene with the same kind of, whoa, it, it was Redford just sort of winces a little when it happens. He just yeah. kind of, ooh, ooh, you know, he doesn't like, <laughs> oh, no. Did, did like, I get any blood on me? Yeah. Oh, oh, and I got one more for you. I'm sorry. I forget about this one, too. This is a definite one from the 80s and 90s, which I'm sure has been debunked. And that is a one shot to the head that knocks you out with an instrument. Now, we have all, I have a baby skull directly to the bridge of my nose as my son full body just dropped all of his you know 20 pounds right into my nose and all it did was hurt and make me cry i don't i don't recall how what is what does it actually take to knock a man out is it just the butt of a gun and that knocks him out i think Dan, it, you should know yeah like i think they hit him in the temple and if you get hit in the temple with the butt of a gun i buy i buy getting knocked out from one shot straight to the temple with the butt of a gun you too. And so I, I, uh, I trust, I trust a man from Goochland that would say that too, as well. So getting here is not going to knock you out. Right. Is right. that a concussion though? I mean, is that that's what, exactly the, right, Paige. The, 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 he got two concussions in like the course of ten minutes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. Yeah, no protocol right. back then. Wow. Yeah the the other two uh, the other two that I had was uh, bad guy scrapbook, uh, bad guy photo album didn't really stick around i just oh let me pull out my scrapbook here oh this is him kgb in 1988 pretty fun time and uh moving on uh and then the other one i just had that i thought of um pet detectives never made it pet detectives <laughs> yeah in the 90s you know we try to introduce a cool thing called a pet detective and it just never Never really had, never really happened, you know. A lot of people went on to become pet detectives. I mean, it did get a sequel. 
didn't it get multiple sequels didn't it get a third too no 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 man but that second sequel when he walks into the village and he does bomba way tuna still one of my favorite scenes of all time <laughs> it is. and then when he gets the spears in his legs uh and they're both <laughs> the same. I, mean, <laughs> I mean physical gold um so let's uh let's dive into this uh let's dive into the uh sneakers cast a little bit here because there's just a lot to cover so i want to do it on the top here um, let's just start with Robert Redford real quick. And Paige, if you want to go first, Robert Redford chill uh, keeps sticking into my mind because his performance really carries not just the movie, but kind of the tone and the airy vibe of like kind of, you know, there's a lot of stakes going on, but everything's kind of like played with a little sleight of hand. And what I kind of wrote down as well is, you know, small timers in over their heads. Right. These are all like fringe guys that kind of run their little business. And all of a sudden the classic in over their head. And uh, just, you know, just talk a little bit about Redford's performance because he's just a leading man in this one. You know what I mean? There's nothing too, nothing too special to say about it. It's pretty cut and dry. I mean, the dude's just, just handsome and charming and, and funny and, and smart and just really carries the movie. Yeah, I mean, he always, he's, he was always, the sm he was always very smart when he, he always was in roles where he was a smart person. Don't you, don't you agree? Like even through the '60s and '70s, you know, in the '70s he went into the a lot of the spy stuff. And then in this one, they surround him with, you know, uh, they got all these archetypes of, you know, the, the conspiracy guy and the, you know, the young, you know, genius and the, the tough old guy. And then they, they the, uh, you know, the, 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 the wise man, you know, so, so all he had to do was just be the gel that brings them together and also be sexy and funny. And, and that's, that's his like fort, you know, I mean, the guy is sexy and funny on his worst day. And I, I, I did notice a lot of scenes in that where they, they give him this boyishness, you know, and, and he's, he's very, he's very determined and very like, I would never do that. And, you know, and then it's like, yeah, but you'll go to jail if you don't. Ah, shit, you got me. But then he's got these moments that I love where, where like when Mary McDonald's like, look, all right, I'll hang, I'll talk, I'll go to the thing with you. And then she walks out and he's like, yes, you know what I mean? They give him these sort of, they, they pepper in these like boyish choices for him to make to, to bring around that, um, I guess that childish, charming side to him because he's only in his fifties then, right? I mean, he wasn't. Yeah, no, you're bringing up a good point. Like the character, the character never really grows up, right? There is a stunted, yeah. like Arrested Development to him a little bit, and I also really enjoy this performance because just like in the natural, like I like when Redford plays like these Icarus characters who like their childhood their childhood or whatever happened to them when they were younger, they ran too hard, they ran too fast and they got knocked down and it's him trying to pick up the pieces and like the reminiscing of it all. Uh, Jeff, uh, hop in on just Redford's performance a little bit. And where does he stand? Where does he stand with you in terms of, you know, all time guys? I mean, are you, are you a huge Redford guy or is it just when it comes around, he's amazing with whatever he does. I think that's, I think part two in that I, I, I yeah. definitely never put him on any list when I'm talking about like actors mm -hmm. that I love or actors that I watch, but every time, I mean, He's one of the best, right? He's just, you're right. I think he's just like, even Keel's not the right word, but like he he just kind of runs that gambit of being good in everything that he does and we love him. And then, yeah, you know what it is though? Again, being a, a 90s kid like myself, I think I, Sneakers is my first introduction to him, probably. So I didn't watch, you know, Butch Cassidy and I didn't see The Great Gatsby or The Sting or anything like that. I, I think- Indecent Proposal and probably Sneakers were my first two introductions to him. So he's more of that older guy, but does he, he's got, I mean, again, we talked about this before the Sean Connery, you know, super sexy, uh, uh, sex appeal in your, in your sixties kind of thing. He's got that too. Like you, you, you get it in this film. Like he's you're like, yeah, 
he's a classic movie star. I mean, oh yeah, totally. I just don't. I think I only knew him from Spy Game and stuff like that. You know, like not not. I had to go back as I grew up and be like, oh shit, this guy's wildly talented, and he's done everything. He's Robert Redford. Yeah, uh, Dan, weigh in on uh, Robert Redford and what you thought of his performance. Uh, I also enjoyed, Paige, you brought up the concept of all the different ensemble characters, which we're going to kind of trickle down and talk about them. In a funny way, they are like that, that classic screenplay uh, move where all the characters are kind of the same, different sort of parts of him. You know what I mean? The different arms, if you like will. Like Voltron. Like, yeah, well, yeah, Sidney Poitier is just kind of maybe more of like, obviously, the aggressor, the conspiracy theorist goes into like his distrust of government when he was like, they're all kind of mirrors of his own psyche, if that makes any sense. Uh, Dan, hop in. Yeah, I love that, Joey. Um, I mean, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is one of my, I would say, I would say top five favorite films. I, I, I love that movie. I love Robert Redford in that movie so much. But also, I sort of agree with Jeff, like that movie is one of my favorite movies of all time. But I don't know if I put Redford like in my list of top actors either. But he's a classic movie star. Uh, I, I just want to like that. His role in this is the George Clooney in Ocean's Eleven or the, mm-hmm. or the Frankie Blue Eyes in, in the Ocean's movies. You know, like Redford, that is what we want. We need the face of the crew that's going to like be able to talk his way in and out of any situation he need, he's going to get. He's a mouth. He's a mouth. And everybody else around him, I love that like mirror of his psyche. They're all sort of like <clears throat> extensions of him. Um, but that's that's what we need. We need we need that that face and the charm, you know. Dude, I love that you said the Clooney thing though. Like Clooney would have been perfect in this movie, right? This like, was Clooney's uh, role. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In terms of like movies, because I was talking before the pod, and we're gonna get into a little bit today. Is like you know, they just don't make these movies anymore right like if it was we were saying before you know this is an oceans 11 type movie but it's much more low level it kind of like highlights san francisco the way that they light it is all kind of in the shadows intentionally because they are sneaking around doing other kinds of stuff and it's just a kind of a movie that just is very ensemble based with great acting and doesn't really have anything that's propelling it necessarily which is where i want to transition into sydney Potier really quick Rest in peace, which I think is a big reason why we wanted to do this movie, right, is once we heard of his passing. This is a movie for my generation, I think our generation of I, I could just kind of identify the most with this movie, even though he has so many other amazing performances decades prior. Um, Page Man, if you want to hop in first on this one, Sidney Poitier, for me, he, he makes the stakes of the movie. Like he lets you know that this shit is serious. Like there's really no one else that kind of gives you that background or like kind of let you know, and that's a really, really important part to at least kind of move the movie along. Yeah, totally. I, you know, I, I, um, I, I, growing up, Poitier after like 1977 or something took like 10 or 11 years off from acting and just directed. So growing up, we didn't get a lot of Sidney Poitier movies. We, it wasn't our, you know, we, we were growing up with other actors. So this was one of my first experiences seeing him in a theater as, you know, a current movie. And he is, I, even back then, I was struck by his his cadence and his voice, the way that he he says T's really well. You know what I mean? Like he speaks so differently, and you're just like, I, I don't know. There's just something so um, um, calming about him. But at the same time, you get to see that that tough side of him too. That one of my favorite parts of this movie is when he's is when he's he's got this great scene at, toward the end when he when they're he's like do you ever know why I left the F, uh, the CIA 
my temper. And then he and then he beats this guy down and he says, I wrote it down, motherfuckers mess with me, I'll split your head. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> he gets this, he gets this cool, like, like kind of old man uh, wisdom thing to him, but then he's also got that underlying just I could I could take every one of you down. And there's a lot of other moments in the movie where he does that, where he's turn that off now, you know, he knows what's coming. He knows that them messing around with this kind of stuff is they're all going to get killed. And I, I, I just think that he's perfect for it. Yeah. Uh, Jeff hop in on Sydney Poitier, um, a character that we talked about, you know, Dan, I think you mentioned it in last the Mohicans. Um, uh, one of the characters that seems to be kind of ahead of the plot a little bit, right. Who's always kind of warning people and safeguarding people. Um, you know, what was the Sydney Poitier performance for you, Jeff? Cause honestly, I don't have many more movie experiences where I really get to enjoy him. And that's a shame. Uh, I'm I'm the same as you, and I'm embarrassed to say I don't think I've seen any other film of his besides this one. I'm pretty sure, maybe in college. I and and real, real quick though, but you know him though, isn't that yeah. funny? Like you know what I mean? Like you completely yep. understand him as a performer and how amazing he is. But yeah, you're not. I'm not as familiar with his work either. Yeah, that's such a good point. Like we know his name as this legend, but this is my movie of him, and he's great in this movie. You're right. I mean, I mean, listen, uh, just talking about his performance in this movie because that's all I really know. Um, he did come to set on Blackish, and of course, I wasn't there that day, so everybody else got to meet him. Uh, but I am still heartbroken about that. Put that up there also with Michelle Obama. Not upset about that. Um, he, what? Yeah, a lot of people. Yeah, I got you know, I got to hang out with Michael Rappaport, and they got to hang out with Sidney Poitier. I was gonna say, like, it was a Dennis Rodman, yeah, like the, yeah, yeah I get Dennis, Dennis Rodman. Rodman. Yeah, somebody text Thanks. me, yeah, Hello. someone throw me a text, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> I could, I could, I could, I could complain about a lot of this. Um, <laughs> I got to, I, I got to shoot scenes with Quavo. They get Nas, you know, like it's, uh, it's, it's a little unfair. Uh, okay. So his performance in sneakers, I, he is, I mean, on one level, he's the straight man, which is great. You need this character. You need the character. Just like Paige was saying, you need that guy who's taken it all very seriously. Um, love his comedic performance is handling between him and the Dan Aykroyd character and the mother character, how much he's annoyed by all that stuff. Love the mystery of how he got kicked out of the CIA till the end. Uh, just a great character. And Hey, if this is the only film I ever saw him in, it's for him to know, you know, rest in peace. This is one of my favorite performances and one of my yeah. favorite movies. When uh, Mary McDowell tries to leave the party and he just yeah. holds up his hand and goes, you know, I I'll calm down when we get that thing out of here. It literally is when the movie clicks and you realize that this is serious. Like, this isn't just fun and games and that lives can actually be at stake. He loads well, up the gun and gets ready well, to Well, just before that. No, this, 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 the movie changes when they're playing Scrabble and and Whistler's doing the, you guys want to take down a, a, a passenger set, a jet? Like, that's, now the yeah. movie gets real. And then, but you're right. He does, and also, let's not forget, he doesn't, the reason why he's keeping her there is because she's the, as far as he's concerned, she's the only person that knows that he's Martin Bryce. So she might have told somebody. So that's that. You're right. Mm -hmm. That's like get. I might have to shoot you, kind of mentality, which is like, oh, that's scary. yeah. Um, yeah. You were you were mentioning it, uh, Dan. Yeah, hop in on Sydney Poitier, uh, real quick. I was just gonna pose a question. Do you guys think if that if that security guard or police officer at the end hadn't like been blatantly racist, that Sydney Poitier wouldn't have wouldn't have you know taken the guns and beaten like he would have played by the book, right? Like if that security guard Ooh. had been blatantly fucking racist, would that was that the inciting factor for Sydney to to be like? They they try they try and set it up where he does see um, Whistler uh, attempt to get in front of the wheel of the car for sure, 
For so sure. we are at that point playing some cinematic, uh, cinematic uh, connect the dots, right? Does he all of a sudden, is he hip to the plan of like, does he understand that Whistler's going to actually attempt to drive? He knows, and he, this knows is- that, he knows that Martin's in his ear too, because he's got the cans on. So he knows that Martin's talking to Whistler. But Dan's right. Cool. He does head, he does butt that the guy in the face that called him midnight. So he, he does go after the racist guy. <laughs> which I think, which honestly, though, I think it's a really cool scene or it's a really cool moment just because uh, the movie is about everyone has a secret, right? I mean, all these guys are together because they had this past and they're all kind of banded together as these, I guess, quasi misdemeanor outlaws, if you will. And for Martin Bryce or Martin Bishop, for Robert Redford to get his name back, it's still sort of also Sidney Podia's way to kind of just be who he is a little bit. Like he was ashamed of the fact that he had a temper or why he got kicked out of the CIA. And in the end, it was the temper that actually saved him a little bit. I think that's one of those things. And, you know, while we're moving down the line of the ensemble, um, Dan, if you want to go first on this one, remember when conspiracists were charming? Do you remember that? Do you remember back in the 90s when they had their little theories and we'd go, oh, those people got some ideas. Those people were smart. Um, does Dan Aykroyd's role age well for you? Can you can you still have fun with it, I guess, is kind of the thing, because the the role of the conspiracy now has completely changed uh, in a way that I, I has been is in a, a much uh, shadow of darkness. Let's just kind of put it that way. Yeah, I mean, I'll be really honest. <clears throat> I for I, I like I said, I haven't watched this movie in a really long. I sort of forgotten about Dan Aykroyd's character or like how crazy now it just seems to say anything like that. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, real quick, real quick. I want you to go keep going, but hold on. Uh, earthquake, JFK, fake the moon landing. Uh, my buddy in Desert Storm, of course, he was on the other side. The Eisenhower <laughs> alien encounter framed Pete Rose. Those are the Frank, conspiracies. No, the framed Pete Rose one was just. So, I, mean, I think that was that's got to have been a, an Ackroyd riff, right? Like uh, that one just great. Uh, but I'm gonna say this: I actually thought Ackroyd was terrible in this movie. I, <gasps> thought, I, I thought he was. I thought it was so like indicated and stilted and like. Uh, like uh, Buckus, what are we gonna give him? Buckus, and he just like raises his arm like this the whole time as he's counting his steps down the stairs. I was like, wow, this is not the Dan Aykroyd that I know. But um, uh, no, I don't know if right now you can have fun with conspiracists that, that isn't straight, that isn't like that isn't flat out <laughs> making fun of them. Uh, Jet. You, you, we got you, Jeff. Uh, hop in and counter on Dan Aykroyd. Uh, you had a reaction again. There. I mean, this is the difference between me and DSJ. Is I love a good indicated performance. <laughs> I love a good over the top, you know, character <laughs> like Mother. You know, I love an actor that has to completely change. I mean, look, Dan Aykroyd was never in shape, but you know, he's obviously on the uh, back end of uh, his his career here. He's 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 he looks terrible, and uh, no offense to him, you know, but. He really lives in that character. And for that matter, I love all the characters in the movie. Um, I think every single one of the actors in this movie is so perfectly. Defined. I mean, Dan, I love a character that the first four words out of his mouth, which I can't remember. What does he say? He says something conspiracy wise right away, but we never know what that conspiracy is. It's when he's doing the, the, the which, by the way, we do. Are need- you saying they caused the earthquake? Uh, he said someone was down there. Uh, yeah. yeah, you saw it. Yeah. Yeah, he's like right away. He's got the conspiracies lined up, but um, I absolutely. Oh, oh, let's remember he did. Uh, he did eighteen. Oh, oh, he did eighteen months at Denimore. What's the name of that famous uh prison? The one that they just made a movie about, like um, 
denim oh. de- denim uh, uh, ben stiller did the uh, yes. directed it um, yes, with yes, benicio yes. del toro um yeah yes. i don't and, know uh, one of the arquettes one of the arquette sisters was right wasn't it she the girl yeah but yeah anyway he did 18 months i wish i could have looked more up on that that prison because that prison's like infamous he said he did 18 months of denimore for breaking and entering he was framed best hands in the business i love that he says he was framed I love the mother character. <laughs> yeah, I think see, it's, I would want to play it probably. Yeah, so like, I, 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 oh, maybe I'm like kind of the mediary here on this one because I do like Aykroyd's performance in this. I think this is the last good Aykroyd because, <gasps> wow, because because yeah. by the time by the time he gets to Tommy Boy, um, he's really like it's just really 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 over the top. It's like uh the great outdoors character, but like on steroids. And you can kind of see, I mean, don't like, don't forget, like, Akira was nominated for an Oscar for Driving Miss Daisy. You know what I mean? Like, the dude, like, had chops all throughout the 80s. And wow. even, like, even, That's I don't know. That's only three years before then. That's only three yeah, years before then. And I don't even know if you saw, like, the new Ghostbusters movie. He's fine in it, but you can see there's a lot of, like, rust around him a little bit. And I just sort of thought he kind of lost his mojo. And I thought this was kind of the last good Ackroyd movie. He pops up in other stuff along the way, but, like, it's not really, like,. The actor, because I mean, this was the consummate character actor, right? I mean, this was the guy. This was Phil Hartman before Phil Hartman. You know what I mean? Like he could play anything, do anything, embody anyone, play anybody. And and I I, I thought he was a fantastic, incredibly talented actor. But his skills kind of maybe eroded over time. Page, uh, maybe break the tie on this one. Well, maybe he stopped taking you know cocaine so much or something. You know, like lost sort of his spirit after he gave up the, the white stuff. I don't know. I I, I okay. I've heard and I've read stuff, especially making Ghostbusters and all that when they did that, that Dan Aykroyd is a conspiracy theorist, right? Have you guys heard stuff like that? Or like he's in Oh, his family, his family completely oh, right. believes in aliens and they are, they are very, very deep into like what Freemasons do. And yeah, right. they are very, very tied so into it. Yeah. In that regard, maybe he was kind of their like ultimate choice. I, I don't know if, if, if the casting sort of follows, you know, real life in that in that vein, or if it's just like, hey, we can get Dan Aykroyd because he's funny. Um, but I'll, I can break that. I can break it. I guess I I I didn't hate him in this. I didn't. I, I I'm with you guys in a way though. I, I never like watch Dan Aykroyd movies and think, well, without Dan Aykroyd, this never would have been good. You know what I mean? I feel like <laughs> he always is kind of second fiddle to somebody else. Um, and, and, and a good second fiddle, no, no less, but, um, yeah, I, I thought of, of those guys, he was the least interesting of that, of that, like ensemble uh, and Mary McDonald. I keep saying guys and she's part of the team too. I shouldn't say that, but, um, yeah, I, I feel like he was the one who was kind of the, of even the, the, the way the character is written. It's just like, well, we need somebody to be raking the leaves now to, and uh, I'm out of here, you know, and he just kind of got the the throwaway stuff when everybody else was given the opportunity to have an arc, right? Well, maybe, well, maybe what's difficult about it is he's kind of a one-liner guy. He's sort of, sort of filling in the gaps, sort of doing a lot of exposition of how we're going to do the next sneak, if you will. But the same guy who has the same job is river Phoenix. And let's just do him for a second. He's amazing in this movie. He's amazing. My my God, like Jeff go first, because I don't know about you, like seeing this movie as a young 13 year old kid, I wanted nothing more in the world than to be River Phoenix in this movie, to 100%. be in this, to be in this group of, of adults, but respected for being a genius and just kind of flying by the seat of your pants. And I don't know. I mean, like he's, he's just so good in this movie and he actually did this movie because he did my private Idaho and he said he got so psychologically deep into that role that he needed just 
something stupid, like literally, uh, like he needed, he, yeah, needed a break to just have some fun with some great actors. Just, just talk about what this, what this role was for, like when you first saw him, and what it still means to you now. But it, again, that's the thing. I'm not. Sh I wish. I'm really trying to go back to my teenage mind to remember what I thought of this performance compared to me, the actor now that wants to analyze like his, his risk-taking and the choices he took in this movie. And the, I mean, there's a great little moment that I'm not sure I would have ever noticed as a kid, but when he comes out and he says, uh, you know, he says shoes and he says expensive and uh, they go to meet the two uh, agents and he cracks a little joke and Carl walks by and laughs at it. He goes, <laughs> and Robert Redford goes, thanks, Carl. But he's totally <laughs> trying to fake the laughter for the dumb joke. And he just walks through frame. In fact, you don't even see his face. And it's so good. He's so good in this movie. I mean, the, that wasn't easy when he jumps through the roof and and of course, I mean, as a teenager, my memory is the beautiful woman that he can have anything he wants and he just wants her phone number. And I remember as like a 13, 14 year old being like, that's the coolest shit ever. I wish I could do something that slick. So he, I freaking love him in this movie. I mean, he's got some, I mean, he's got some really understated funny moments, right? Like the first scene, he puts the face paint on and he offers it to Sidney Poitier and he yes! goes, he goes, get that the fuck away from me. And then the yes. other one is they're trying to figure out who to set up Warner Brandis with. And uh, they ask about some girl and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, she's buff. Uh <laughs> she's, she's buff. <laughs> uh, uh, Paige, just hop, hop on to River Phoenix. You know, you can I mean, you were actually and, and help me out. Like, forgive me, man. You were seeing movies at a time when he passed, when you were really, really into movies and can understand them more than probably when they were at my age. What was River Phoenix? like in this in the landscape of movies at the particular time when he passed because he did last crusade and then that was you know and then he moved on but this guy was going to be amazing well this is his last one of his last movies. i think it's his third to last movie and the other two after this i'd never seen or even heard of um this one is is kind of his last i feel like big you know hollywood like you know he's with redford and portier kind of movies and we grew up watching him do, uh, you know, he was, yeah, the Mosquito Coast, right? He was, and he, he and Indy, of course, but he was, he was always that um, uh, ang angsty, like serious teen, right? So in, in seeing this, where he gets to play the fun, like who, you know, just kind of, he's smart, but he's also kind of a, a knucklehead, right? I mean, he's got all that going on. It was a nice departure from those movies. And I guess after hearing you guys talk about it, like that was intentional. It was like, I don't want to play the serious drug addict again or the kid whose dad is a dick. I don't want to do that. I just want to have some fun. And and that and he pulled it off in spades. So good for yeah, him. Yeah, it's so interesting, like a really, really like serious actor. But then when he's in Last Crusade or something, you can be like, oh, my God, this guy can be a commercial movie star if he wanted to he could pretty much do whatever he wants going back to the oceans movies he's he's the the two brothers in this he's the guy that they put in little disguises and he argues with the guy at the front desk so robert redford can get in and they, they give him the kind of the the that's the, such a good call page you are absolutely right he is is there anything better than casey affleck in the third oceans doing right. the doing the spanish mexican characters when yeah. he's, <laughs> in the in the dice like where they make yeah. the dice down in mexico yeah. he gets them to rebel zapatas <laughs> no what did he what did he say revolution um dan um maybe this is a great way to open up one of our games real quick you know, we're talking about all these different characters. River Phoenix is probably my favorite. Um, out of all these ensemble characters, the team, if you will, 
you know, who would who like who do you probably relate to the most? Or if someone like handed you the script and you got to pick a character to play in one of these movies, which one would it be? Or I also give you the option too. You can make up your own character of the team if you want to. Uh, I did not make up my own, which normally I think I would have gone down that route, but I just really want to play Whistler. I think that's such a fun and cool, like he's, mm. he's my favorite guy on the team. Uh, I love him. And what a bang up job playing a blind guy. I mean, it like, it teeters, it teeters the line uh, that I think this movie does so well between like caper movie comedy. Like there's, there's this little line and he, isn't making fun of blind people what in any way shape or form but there's like little moments where the blindness is a little funny he can use it for the joke and i i i don't know i thought it was i thought it was fantastic i thought he was great in it i think it's a really fun character and that's who i would want to play that's a great call he gets the line to uh uh well i don't really care if you go to jail bish i'm just in it for the money so i'll do so i'll do it you know what i mean that's such a great it's part it's a hundred and seventy five thousand dollars can we please talk about that jeff go for it hundred seventy five thousand dollars split between five people even in 1992 that is ridiculous jeff <laughs> so i worked it out i already went on the google machine and looked it up, $175,000 today is equal to about $338,000. Now, I did the math on that. That's $67,000 today. Today. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But $67,000 today is different than sixty than $25,000 in 92. Like, the rate of inflation, is, I mean, we're, we're talking about a whole different ballgame. Real estate prices are way up. Oh God, I, I fell asleep so fast with you talking about this guy. <laughs> but, wait, so but wait, but wait, a Winnebago, a Winnebago, hold on, a Winnebago in 1992 is still over $20,000. Well, but, 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 but Joey, but it's, it goes back to your sort of thesis of this movie that these are kind of small town, small time guys doing mm -hmm. big things, bigger things than it's them. True. And so like, maybe they just don't ever think big enough you know i mean maybe it's maybe is it big enough to throw a huge fucking dance party and light your entire uh <laughs> studio with christmas lights twenty five thousand dollars <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna risk my life for a vacation wouldn't you <laughs> But, but or is the point that like it's not about the big things in life; it's about the smaller things in life that make us genuinely happy. All right, man. Well, I mean, it does. It does. They actually do the right thing. Where by the end, in the end of the movie, they actually do get to ask for something like off their wish list, which is like really, really fun. Um, but but real quick, Paige, who which character do you want to be in in the uh, in the ensemble? And uh, what would you risk your life for $25,000 for? <laughs> double so, uh, double question. Love it. Well, I was thinking about this. I, I You know, they, they, have, they have a little bit peppered in of, of, of a lot of great archetypes. I was thinking this movie has, and I'm not saying I could play this. Maybe I would get cast as something like this. But I, I was thinking this movie has a very, like there, there's several little pops at, at like Republicans throughout it. And there's, you know, there's even a, a moment where Robert Redford points at a, freaking picture of george bush and like mm. makes fun of him you know like ask that guy ask you know? that guy so i was thinking if this was made today they would probably throw in a character who represents the other side you know there would be some sort of oh uh, you know what i mean that's there would cool be some sort of like like come and go and back and forth about you know well this is bullshit and you know you know maybe the conspiracy theorist would be the other guy you know the guy who's like well no, is uh, yeah is, is poitier is poitier a republican 
of the 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 eighties Reagan Republican of like the law and order, and he gave his life to you know working for the government. Maybe he's a little bitter about it. Maybe he's a returned Republican. Yeah, he might be that guy, and just not as vocal in that political sense. You're right. I guess that's true. But I was kind of thinking that if it was made today, there would be something like that in it. You know, and being me being a bald. 40s white guy with a mustache i would probably be closer to that than anything else unfortunately (laughs) (laughs) jeff uh jeff what uh what character would you want to be or is there a new character that you wanted to bring to the team oh you know i got to bring a new character into please you know who's missing is the likable douchebag you know what i mean that's who's that's who's uh not quite here you know the tom hardy from inception maybe you know what i mean and and what what is missing because i guess ben kinsley covers this who we do need to talk about his ridiculous new york accent uh if we can get to that <laughs> uh yeah the likable the likable douchebag in the group who ends up double crossing everybody he's the guy who ends up working for ben kinsley that guy's missing or or if i could say real quick uh instead of warner brandis the character is a female and your character gets first crack at seducing the character fails and then they have to go with the with the my voice is my passport bit maybe that's where that works out in the movie like that's nice i got this cut forward yeah. fail and then go in dan hop in I was just going to say one thing I know about Jeff Meacham is he's going to write himself onto any movie he possibly can. <laughs> you know, you got to think Jean Reno and Mission Impossible, you know, yeah. uh, 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 Tom Hardy-esque, you know, and everybody that I want to be in life. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, you're right, though. I Something that I, I really liked about this movie that I, that I forgot to bring up that you just brought up was that none of the team betrays them. There's never like... Nope. The door opens and, and, you know, mother walks through and it's like, sorry, I want my Winnebago. You know what I mean? Like, that never happens. They never, the team well, stays. And, and the reason so being, Paige, is because the state. Sorry, Jonesy. Sorry, Jonesy. I got to get that Winnebago. That's Come exactly on, Mac. Right. We all those years fighting the Reds. Yeah, I just exactly. couldn't think of his name. What's his name? What's that actor's name? I couldn't think of it. Ray uh, Winston. Ray Winston. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what's missing. And I think that's because the stakes are, I mean, again, my, this negotiation scene is so fantastic at the end with James Earl Jones, because there's such little things. My, my personal favorite of all time is Armageddon when uh, Bruce Willis just says, oh, and they, uh, they don't want to pay taxes ever. Like honestly, that legit. would be, that would be mine. That would probably be mine. That would be my end. James Earl Jones probable wish. Not to pay taxes? Never pay taxes. That's such a good one. That's such a good forethought. Like, I, n- not my, not me. I, I would be like, <laughs> I want a, one of those long boats that they drive off the coast of Florida and that sound loud engines. <laughs> and then it breaks down. But I don't, I don't get the extra package, you know, to take care of it. So I end up selling it. Paige, uh, what would you ask James Earl Jones for in the, in the very end? Well, when the question was posed of the four, I would have picked the Winnebago, which, you know, unfortunately, you can ask for world peace from a government guy, but you ain't going to get it. You know what I mean? That was like poor, poor David or the Whistler. He, he, he really doesn't get his anything out of it. I mean, you know, at least River Phoenix's character gets a phone number out of it, you know. But I was thinking, you know, a real ha- phone number, by the way, hardly ever happens in films from the 80s and 90s. Always 555. Yeah. Not this one. 555. We yeah. should call it we should um but i was thinking and and, you know a trip would be fine but you know you got the winnebago you can go on a trip you know it's maybe within the continent of course Uh, (laughs) and 
where you got a sweet Winnebago with a kitchen and a waterbed, you're going to get some phone numbers. I mean, the thing is kind of all inclusive and it helps for world peace, right? I mean, it, it, it kind of does it all. It's, wow. it's of the four. It's got a lot of, it's got a lot going for it. So that was the one I was like, wow. you take, you take two people on two different party lines. You put them in a Winnebago for a couple hours, feed them some food. They're going to walk out friends. They're going to walk out. We're going to walk right. out in peace. I like it. It's kind of all encompassing. It's a good move page. Um, Dan, Dan, what was, uh, do you have one? What was your wish for James Earl Jones? Government agent. I'm going to ask him to make voting day a national holiday because it's our most sacred and important right is to vote. You guys get out there and vote. Jesus, Dan wow. has never been so boring during a podcast God. in my it, life. Giving it up though. Giving it, so doing it for smart. the people. <laughs> Laying yeah, that, on the sword. That first, that first and then the Winnebago. That's what I meant too. Yeah, yeah. That first. Yeah. <laughs> And all the little children of the world to hold hands and <laughs> uh, just, let's get go ahead. So me, it's just so me and Dan. Dan asked for the exact right thing, and I'm like a cigarette boat. One, I need I need twin outboard engines on the back. It needs to have a hole where I can go to Bangtown, you know. And Dan's asking for endless fucking nacho fountain, you know, just like, and I don't have to pay for the cheese, you know, like. Just... <laughs> the first time I ever walked into an all-inclusive hotel and they had the 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 alcohol bottles upside down with the little dispenser in the room, still top five greatest moments of my life. Top five. The most delicious cookies I've ever unwrapped in my entire life. I love a good <laughs> cookie. Um, let's get to my favorite topic here. This one's called What's Your Favorite Sneak? They do a lot of sneaking in this movie, and I want to see. This is basically like what's your favorite scene, but I want to know what your favorite sneak is. Here's my list. If I miss one, you can also throw it out there too as well. Opening scene, the bank break-in. Uh, you break into people's places. To tell them how they can break into other people's places? Yeah, weird job, right? Um, Janik's black box, that scene where they kind of case him. Uh, they kind of do a little peep show. Uh, the Warner Brandis, my voice is my passport. Um, the dance sequence after the dance montage that we already talked about, breaking the codes when they actually put it in there and all the stuff kind of comes undone. You want to crash a passenger chat. Uh, breaking into the office, which I just called uh, Be a Beacon. And anytime you walk down a hallway and see balloons, that probably means someone's breaking into someone's uh, particular Oceans. office. Oceans does it. Exactly. Um, the learning about Warner Brandis, going through his trash, trying to learn about him, a version of a sneak, if you will. Uh, the, thermal slow, the thermal slowdown break-in scene, uh, which all the way goes all the way into Whistler probably driving a car. And, um, yeah, that's it. So we're going to go, Jeff, you're going to go first, my friend. What's your favorite sneak? Or what's your favorite scene? What's your favorite caper? <laughs> uh, I think it's Janice's black box. Um, I absolutely love the comedy of that scene. Again, Sidney Poitier being the straight man when he's like, does anybody know how to break into a uh, digital door lock or whatever it is? And he's like, don't even joke about that, Martin. Those things are impossible. 1992. And, <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. And then, of course, Mother's like, has that great line about the guy on the other side of Desert Storm who could help and the whole. And then that's just great comedy by Robert Redford when he's listening and he's like, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. And then he kicks the door open. Fantastic. And then how great is that scene with uh with Gunther's uh, uh girlfriend when when he's got when they're, when they're telling him what to say and you know the whole thing about head and of course again as a kid I I had no idea what that meant and now as an adult I'm like that's kind of racy I didn't you still have no idea what that means yeah it means <laughs> hugs and kisses third base is a third base um 
Yeah, I love that scene. I just love the comedy. I love. I mean, again, this movie is a comedy, right? Like it's funny as hell. And Janice's black box. And and I'm sorry, I'll even en- encompass that to the stakeout of Janice's black box when Gunter and the girlfriend are having are starting to have sex, and Sidney Poitier does the like, Carl, get out of here. They, they do that, and he's like, let me see. Let me see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't know they could do that in Mexico City. I just love, love, love that scene. Uh, I think I might be there with you on a rewatch. Ooh. Man, there's so many funny moments, a lot of ensemble interplay going on. Everyone pretty much gets a piece of the action in that one, probably except for maybe River Phoenix. But it's such, uh, I mean, in the beginning, like, I have to deliver this Drano here. Uh, this, <laughs> t- these 12 cases of liquid Drano here, I might lose my job. Dan, hop in. I was just gonna say River gets River gets the whole thing about not being able to see it on the piece. Yeah, the stakeout. If, if we if we include the stakeout, he's great yeah. in that. Uh, but yeah. my, I think my favorite. Uh, I think my favorite caper actually is that uh, I need to deliver all this Drano because it's just so stupid. And I think Redford like plays it great too with setting up. Oh God, there she is! Right. I mean, it's everybody's. You only see River Phoenix and Robert Redford, but you know everybody is in on creating this thing and making this thing work. It, it, I think it's the like simplest and most clever sneak that they have, and I thought I, I liked it. Paige, favorite sneak? Well, you guys are nailing them, so I, I'm going to move on to one thing that I was thinking about with these sneaks was um, how much the uh, when he has to break into the office, how much that's similar in a very in a, in a more base way. We've been talking about Ocean's Eleven, but how much of Mission Impossible is in that scene? Yeah. You know, when Tom Cruise has to, to avoid the heat sensors and avoid, you know... And and it was funny to me because it is it is sort of a more base version of the Tom Cruise thing. The Tom Cruise thing is a little more intricate, you know? But it's funny to me, I was watching it and, and it's, it's a great scene. It's very well shot. But it's funny to me, you're looking at these movies and you're like, when the fuck are these tech giants and spy agencies going to fix their their duct system to where people can't crawl through them and and so easily get by their security just by well there's an air conditioner we'll just crawl down that there's no sensors or anything in there i thought that was a really funny like just little i, I don't know nitpicky thing that was that, that stuck out that's in a lot of movies that that was really funny about that also there's a scene in that that was really funny uh, by today's standards joe you were talking about that about the tech they're, they plug into the cameras and they, and they get in the van, they get the cameras that come up. He goes, all right, we got the cameras up, all eight of them. This <laughs> 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 like high tech, impossible place to break into has eight security cameras total. <laughs> that was, th- those things were really funny. It doesn't necessarily make it my favorite like sneak, but it was just some things that stuck out that I thought were really interesting and funny. Like the, for, for the 1992, the eight cameras was mind blowing technology. I saw one of those. They, there was a meme once on Instagram that I saw about like ducks in movie, duck system in a movie, and it's just crystal clean, you know, four feet by four feet crawl space, and then they're like real life, and it's just disgusting, yeah. eight inch by eight inch, you right. know, right. horrific, filled with dust. It's that spacious right. and ventilated, and you can see into everything very clearly. And right. I mean, we could go through. I bet with the four of us right now, we could bang out at least ten movies where we know the ducks. The duck system is what's the I'm thinking right now. What's the one where someone's tapping the duct and it's like duck, duck. Die, hard. die hard. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Now, God. Die hard. Jurassic Park. Mission Impossible. I mean, there's just there's so countless. many so, so many, many ducks going through the ducks, um, which honestly, this is going to bring us to our last topic because we're all kind of tiptoeing around it. And this is kind of this is going to kind of go into Ben Kingsley and James Earl Jones's characters. So any comments that you want to have on them, too, as well. 
my final topic is like, does this movie hold up? Now, I'm going to put two pros and cons on the board and we can debate if it does or not. The pro side is there's a lot of interesting issues here uh, that we're really talking about in this movie. Obviously, um, the swath of technology and the sweep that it could possibly have on not just like our culture, but the way that we wield power and information. Uh, some of the stuff that Ben Kingsley says on top of the roof kind of seems cockamamie at the time in 1992, but it's like, it's all about the information, Marty. Like, it, it's kind of becomes a real, that kind of becomes a real thing that we have to talk about towards the end with James Earl Jones, uh, the NSA, and, you know, spying on Americans, and, and the NSA versus the CIA, and what the Americans do and don't know on how we take in information. What are they and what are they not listening to? What are they not looking into our trash about? Or are they looking into our trash? And then on the other side, you have... Um, the impossible electric keypads. Um, you have <laughs> tracing phone calls two or three years before Star Sixty Nine. Um, we're gonna we're gonna look at a guy, but we're gonna do it our way. So they just grab his fucking trash. Um, we've got you know like DJs, like a DJ booth, figuring out how to like road like road patterns uh, that are on top of there. I mean, a DJ the, booth, right? Like, he's just like, oh, let me go to my DJ booth here. And like, dun 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 dun. Yeah, this is good. This sounds about right. You know what I mean? This is a good beat. You know, like. This movie is a tech fossil that I'm I'm worried that if someone saw it for the first time today, it would seem ridiculous or silly to them. But at the time, it was ahead of its time in terms of what they were trying to put down in terms of tech. And it also has big issues involved. So, Dan, if you'd like to go first, you know, what is this movie? Does this movie stand the test of time? Like, I mean, because it kind of does and it kind of doesn't. I think it unfortunately stands the test of time because you're right. Like what Ben Kingsley, mainly Ben Kingsley talks about in this movie is uh, something that we're dealing with on a very real scale today, a bifurcation of, uh, of wealth inequality in this country and, and a bifurcation of information dissemination in this country as well. And those are Ben Kingsley's two reasons for doing what he what he does. And we vilify Ben Kingsley in this in this movie. But really what he's trying to do is is are the consequences what he's trying to undo. Then we didn't. And we're seeing the consequences of another 30 plus years of those same actions happening all the time. You know what I mean? Like it, it's wild. It's wild. I, yeah. I mean. Ben Kingsley seems like he's a straight up communist in this movie, even though he's one of the richest people on the planet, it seems. But And, he, and he's a mob. He's doing laundry, money laundering for the mob, which is also kind of a weird mix. Uh, but a very strange mix with Kingsley. But, but you're bringing up an interesting point of his character does want all the information and he also wants to decide what information he wants to hide from everybody else. And that's unfortunately something that we're kind of we deal with a little bit today. Jeff, does this movie stand the test of time? Sure. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I freaking love this movie and so i can't i can't dance the intelligent one here you guys are all much smarter than i am i never i still don't even know i i just love it uh, i i don't i i guess the test of time for me will be when i show it to my kids someday and they're like dad this movie's ridiculous what's a what's that giant <laughs> telephone thing that they keep putting on top of things could they even do that stuff in 1960 <laughs> what's that printed piece of paper in his car that says some man is murdered what is that like i don't what how is, does he, <laughs> he he gets his information from the newspaper that the guy is dead like that's just that's just so that's true does it make it free cell phones i mean again you know all these movies are so many of them are pre-cell phones they, so. had, a, they had a car phone they had a car phone so it was getting closer 
That's right. The car phone before, before don't forget after cell phones from like 97 on, it was always no signal. That was the, that, that had to be the trope in any of these movies was uh, the, yeah. Ah, uh, uh, what lies beneath, what lies beneath had one of my favorites where Michelle Pfeiffer just didn't have signal. And they were like, we don't know what else to do. She doesn't have signal. Uh, I, yeah, man. To it's me, her fucking house. It's her house. <laughs> you didn't know they didn't put in the line for you. You're wealthy as hell. Uh, yeah, man, to me, it does stand the test of time, except I did question things always again to the beginning of the movie in 1969. I was like, I, were there computers in 1969? I didn't even know that. Like, were you able to do that with money? I, I, I swear to God, I didn't know if there were computers back you then. You landed Which... somebody on the moon in 1969, Jeff. Yeah, oh my God. You're so right. But like, <laughs> to your point, was, was there like a a laptop or a desktop version of a computer i doubt it right no like, but dan is right we uh, we had already done the entire space race at that point right i forgot about nasa <laughs> and just oh, to be oh, very fair with, with that scene just really quickly um that exterior shot is hill valley from back to say. the future yeah nice Sorry, always very we both looked at yeah so cool that is exactly hill valley that's uh that's 1.21 gigawatts. I think that's super cool. Yeah, went out for pizza. Then I went to Canada. Uh, Paige, just wait in real quick. Yeah, does does the tech in this movie does it stand the test of time? Does it does it feel a little dated, or can you kind of still slip into the 90s a little bit and kind of have some fun with it? Well, you know, I mean, you know, they had to use tapers with the big speaker on it still, right, and all that stuff. Um, I would say what I was thinking was that, you know. Not not 100%, but a lot of the technology and the thing they're going after is is more or less a MacGuffin, right? I mean, it's just the, the technology isn't what matters in this movie. It's it's the characterizations and the the, the relationships and you know, are are is Redford and Mary McDonald going to get back together? And oh, you know, um, you're going to have to shoot me. You know what I mean? Like standing up to your old friend and and the the different lives they lived and all that stuff is is more what the movie's about than the tech. And I, I guess. They did, the movie does focus a lot on, you know, like the political issues and the things of the time and, and oh, the government's coming for you and all that, but that was part of it. But I, I feel like most of it was about the people, right? So that's why I think it stands up is because it's just a well, really well-written script about uh, just a different, uh, a different eclectic group of people that, that are interesting and fun, you know what I mean? So in, in that regard, I think you could watch it anytime. The tech wouldn't bother me on that, you know what I mean? Yeah, well said. I mean, I think the only thing that truly doesn't stand the test of time is that when you find out that Timothy Busfield in his real character just has his hair back in a ponytail. Uh, <laughs> that's who he really is, folks. He's the hair back in the ponytail guy uh, when he puts him in the headlock. Busfield. Not a government oh, agent. <laughs> nope. He works for the mafia. And how do you know he works for the mafia? You slick your hair back. You go Donnie Brasco. With, with Eddie Jones, who does a terrible – I mean, one year he's Eddie Jones, he's Marley Hooch's dad, and then obviously now he's Buddy Wallace in this oh, one. Oh, he was great, Marley Hooch's dad. Great flip. Great flip there. Um, we got to get out of here, guys. Make sure you stick into Sneakers 2 where we just talk only about Timothy Busfield in part two of our Sneakers <laughs> podcast and how amazing he is. Sorry, Timmy. Uh, I love you as an actor. I didn't get into this pod. But this was the 1992 film Sneakers uh, with my beautiful guest panel. Uh, I'm going to say goodbye to you actually individually. Dan Sanders Joyce, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Oh, a kiss. Uh, Paige, my friend, man, thank you so much for coming back on to Sneakers. And hopefully Hayes, Kansas, hopefully they get that butter uh, popcorn machine working finally for the movie theater. That could be a real ad to the town. 
Thanks, man. Good to be here. I wanted to slide in real quick. You mentioned Ghost Dad earlier. You know who directed that, right? Sidney Poitier. Shut up. Are you serious? Yeah. That's how they knew each other. Him and the writer. Yeah, that's how they knew each other. Yeah. I have to double check the IMDb. I wonder if Offset, Phil Alden Robinson, and Sidney Poitier are are pitching each other, uh, you know, uh, what if I got Bill Cosby for it? Oh, yeah, that'd be really good. And uh, he's, a, well, he's a dad and he's a ghost. Oh, God, that movie sucks. Uh, and uh, finally, uh, Planet Fitness's finest, Jeff Meacham, man. Good to see you. Thanks for coming back on the pod. Dude, just for everybody to really know, final thing, you know, the idea that too many secrets as in, what is it called, an anagram? Is that what they're called, anagrams? <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, switch that around. Don't forget, it's also known as Cootie's Rat Semen. That's really important. Yes. <laughs> the best part is they spell it out, and then Redford and McDonald look at each other, and they go, we can't say no, that. No, we can't. Yeah, I know, I know. Not, I was going to intro you guys with that, and I said, you know what? I can't. I respect you guys. I respect you guys too much. Uh, leave that for your Twitter Twitter avatars uh, for a different time. Uh, this was uh, the 1992 film Sneakers on Bet on Chicago's Movie Pod Series, uh, presented by BetOnline.ag. 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Only when you use promo code BLEAV. Believe you got to head there this weekend for the NFL Championship Series and the Super Bowl. They're going to have some great deals and also some great odds. Make sure you check that out. Thank you so much for listening to this pod. We'll be back with more soon. Until then, be well, be safe. Please be good to each other. Remember, when in doubt, always bet on Chicago. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.